You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul expands on the problem of projecting into the biblical text or its actual setting, whether historical or geographic. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Another example of reprojection of the Trinity is the Lord's visit to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18. You know, our famous icon, says it's the philoxenia, the hosting of Abraham. Suddenly in the icon of Rublov, the one is looking at the other. (laughs) But in the text, I don't have Trinity. I have a Lord with two messengers, angels. That's what I'm talking about. And since I am on this tangent of theology, let me put my last drop here in the same plate where Jesus, Mary's son, is presented in patristic theology as already appearing as eternal logos. How could you be a logos humanized? I don't understand. But anyway, perhaps in John. But if not outright the own, He is speaking to Moses at Mount Horeb. Is that for real? It is in patristic theology. I know my patristic colleagues, but you don't get it, Father Paul. Let me explain what they're saying. The problem is that I am not interested. You seem to me to be interested in Scripture because you're dealing with Scripture. Then it's your turn to listen to me. And I'm dealing with scripture. And to use the fact that the title of Yahweh, which is Kyrios, was applied to Jesus Christ in the New Testament, is just an excuse to justify later theology. Because when you hear Yahweh Elohim in chapter 2, I mean, even the fathers did not say that Jesus. So let's be very careful about what we're doing. And my last thing against this trend is that the king was addressed with the title of Yahweh in Psalm 110.1 and even as outright Elohim in Psalm 45.6 in Hebrew. But this is not our topic. Our topic is to open your ears to the fact that through hearing the first three words of Genesis 1-1, you have no right to say, oh, I know what the subject matter is. You don't. Suppose you have children in Sunday school and you make this statement, and I tell the children, let's hear Psalm 45-6. Not in silly translations, you find someone that is closer to the 
original, in this case KGV instead of RSV, where he is referred to as God. So whom are we speaking about? Okay, I extended this because I'm going to be dealing extensively with the issue of this Elohim, preparing you to understand it is simple, but not simplistic. Simple, in other words, you have to wait to figure out things. So the Hebrew forces the hearer to perceive that noun functionally. And thus, it is impossible, except in the original socio-religious setting of the original addressees. Because the writer was not writing to you. Why am I stressing this? Because I contend repeatedly that the original text does not and cannot be fully understood except by the original addressees. I did not say accepted or found agreeable. I said understood. My famous example is the Galatians when Paul called them twice within three verses, brainless, it was not agreeable. Doesn't matter. What matters is that this presupposition is that those Galatians understood the word anoiti. The same applies to the prophetic writing chastening the Judahites of scriptural times and not the Jews in general, the way Christians over the centuries made it. Are the Jews better? No, because the positive statements on the Judahites of the time, the Jews of the 21st century think that it applies to them. That's why the silly Karl Barth in his commentary on Romans said, after so many years of research, I realized that the Jews of our times, he wrote it around the time of Hitler, are really de facto the people of God of whom the Bible is speaking. How could the Bible be speaking of a people of the 20th century? I mean, for heaven's sakes. I mean, they are different. What helped me in all this is the study of, not the study, hearing, you hear, you learn uh, that Vladimir and his followers were Norsemen, Vikings. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, Nadim, you've been fooled all those years. <laughs> okay, hearers, listen, listen. This Nadim who's talking to you today was fooled for many years before he learned. So, if I call you without saying it because I cannot be except politically correct on my, even if I don't call you brainless, it doesn't matter. What matters is that I'm asking you to learn. It cannot be. Like in modern Israel, this is one of the nicest stories 
when they referred to David Ben-Gurion as the coming King David of Lebanon. <laughs> it's interesting, it's nice, it's exciting. But it cannot be. It cannot be unless you are platonic, where your soul comes back to different... Uh, so don't be offended if uh, I tell you one day I met your grandfather in a cat. Like, but this is what Plato taught and his colleague, the great Buddha, okay? Laugh, laugh with me here a little bit. I mean, it's enjoyable to laugh. My cardiologist told me laughter lengthens your life, but I keep telling him I don't know if I need to have my life lengthened at this age. <laughs> so, let's understand it. The nations of Genesis 10 are the nations living across the fertile crescent of those times. Where do you find Hittites today? I mean, you may find them a couple of them. But I mean, let's be serious. And not of today. The geography is the same. That's why I stress the Syrian desert. But not the actual persons. The so-called scriptural world is not a utopic, global, let alone universal world, as I stressed in my writings. But the real, the realistic, and I'm going to discuss the original meaning of the word the real and realistic, the real realistic world of those times. And you could say, you could hear it in the Bible. Esther, it is not today, this regarding what Trump is saying, you know, because he begins by saying, Asuerus, <laughs> the king at that time. Friends, we have to be serious. More specifically, as I repeatedly bombard my hearers, the scriptural shepherdism is not a general shepherdism that can be found in Scotland and North America, but the shepherdism of the Syrian desert. And I'm going to make a statement that irritated a colleague of mine who was demised since then, was frustrated every time he would hear me say that Psalm 23 cannot be perceived realistically by someone living in New England. Where have you met a hungry and a thirsty deer in New England? Check on your garden. <laughs> That's what I used to hear, like in Connecticut when I hear the woman frustrated last night, a deer came. But I never found a frustrated deer in New England. So people, let's be serious. You're going to hear this and you've heard it so many times. I didn't say you cannot pray it. You can pray it to your God. Your God, actually, you can pray him anywhere, anytime, and so on, as you are taught in theology. It's not true. If you are using psalms, 
because there is a certain perception of certain words. And I'm going to come back to that famous thing that irritated so many people, and until now they are irritated, I'd say it in Arctican, that Mitchell Dahoud discovered, and I happen to agree with him, not that I agree with him, and he convinced me, that Tob, the good, very often in the Psalms, referred to the rain. We're going to meet it already. You don't need to wait for Psalms, Mitchell Dahoud. I found it in Genesis 2, 5, and 6, and 7. Where there is not yet rain on the ground. Very important. The good, the Orthodox should know that. We pray, praise the Lord, not for floods, at least in our rubrics, but for gentle showers. <laughs> You know, the original Orthodox are really smart people. <laughs> Be it as it may. So here I have to make my comment on real and realistic. Said it many times, it's worth repeating. Realis is the adjective from the noun res in Latin. And it doesn't mean factual, the way you have it in crossword puzzles. Factual, real, and true mean the same thing. In the Bible, there are three different things. Realis and Latin, you know, the new academic dean, who's from Romania, is insisting that Latin should be taught at St. Vladimir's. Not bad, huh? Eh, Traiasca Romania, Nicolae Erodi. Okay. May Romania live long. Come on now, for heaven's sakes. All our languages are based on Latin. And then you have also Latin fathers. Romanians were positive about the Latin fathers. That word, if worth for us to learn Latin, the adjective is something corresponding to the noun. What is res? Let's go for res publica, which became suddenly the republic. One word. That's not the original. The origin word, the public matter. Not only topic, do you understand? You're dealing with the public life. What matters for public life? So let's be serious. I'm going to take a few minutes here. Res publica. This is where Julius Caesar was able to play his game and force the people to accept him, that emperor, because he presented himself as someone who was dealing for the good of the res publica. Very serious. That's what you do in the Congress, in the Senate, or at least you're supposed to do. You're dealing with a matter. And here we are dealing with the same thing. What does the text really mean? 
And you notice Alexandria, the three levels. There is a level for the regular people, the regular for the solely people, these are the clergy, and another one for the spiritual, these are the Athonite monks. I mean, that's ridiculous. A word in a sentence has one function unless it is intended to be used as a pun. But you have to prove this to me. That's why very often we say when we're talking, and this is an intended pun. Okay? Then you are sure when you hear that, that the person is intending these things. So, real cannot be the reality of the statement of the Bible cannot be perceived correctly or except by someone living at the time of the writing. Slowly on, it gets eroded. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.